So what's the difference? I mean, really, what's the difference between you and me and the rest of the world in our response to the current coronavirus pandemic, or COVID-19 as it's also called? What is distinctive about the believer, about the Christian? What is unique in terms of response by those who are part of the body of Christ? Welcome, everyone, to a special episode of the Building Faith Podcast. I'll be joined in just a few moments with Pastor Shane Kohler, and we'll start to try to unpack those questions, knowing that we have before us not only uh, responsibilities to react and respond and make adjustments to the current circumstance around this pandemic, but we have a great opportunity given to us by God to really demonstrate the profound love of Christ in distinctive ways. So settle in and enjoy this very informative time of the Building Faith Podcast. All right, so Shane, for the last uh, number of weeks, we've been discussing a couple of really important subjects, uh, doctrinal, theological, biblical subjects. We spent some time talking about the providence of God. And then most recently, we began talking about prayer, and we had intended to continue with at least one more podcast on the subject of prayer, but it seems to me that there's uh, some current events that uh, might be of uh, a needed nature for us to speak to, and I think that that's what we're going to talk about today, right? What a stroke of luck. <laughs> oh, yeah. providence. How, how lucky are we yes. <laughs> uh, to actually finally have something that we can actually pray about? Yeah, that's right. And really ponder what, how this fits into the providential working of God. Well, obviously, God knew we would be right here. Uh, you know, even as we were making our plans, He's directing our steps. And you and I uh, discussed it briefly and felt like um, it might, might be uh, uh, helpful to move forward with some discussions on prayer, but probably more helpful to uh, take a, a break and kind of address the issue it, at hand, which is the uh, the spread and the rise of the COVID nineteen um, virus that's on us, and of course, this past uh, Sunday we had to make the decision, as most churches across our nation did, to suspend services, uh, public services for the time being. Um, there's a lot, a lot to to think about from many angles. Uh, I know for us as leaders, there are uh, logistical issues. There are there are spiritual issues there are there are economic issues uh, societal issues all kinds of things that are coming at us and all of them have their own their own um uh i guess you might say tentacles that that kind of get intertwined you know hearing you say that just I, I, we've I've talked to several different people about this i think it's something that's you know people it's not a hard um step to take in your thinking but just hearing you kind of lay out all these different issues that that this virus has sort of brought to the fore, all these big, big issues, and to think that it's a microscopic mm. organism uh, under the providence of God. Uh, we were talking earlier about how it's, it's an interesting little um, scenario to consider how it doesn't take a large catastrophic um, external event to really confront us with our limitations? Well, it's, uh, you know, Sunday I was, uh, I did a message on this in our uh, broadcast, 
and uh, I kind of just trace through some of the plagues that have historically swept across the earth, and many of them taking place in the Christian era. And it's not surprising then that as Christians uh, across the spectrum have tried to wrap their minds around this and the, and the sort of the whiplash effects that we're all feeling about what's going on around us as society coming to a halt and church even coming to a halt. Uh, a number of, of places over the last week have tried to look back in history uh, to try to figure out what can we learn from the way Christians have responded to these kinds of situations, because the reality is none of us who are alive really have any experience with anything like this. No, not at all. Uh, we might have might have heard here or there about one or two kinds of plagues and um, social distancing in some situations, but even in the modern era, those have been limited to third world countries: Ebola, SARS, MERS, and even those were not, you know, probably going to be as uh, ultimately deadly as this virus is going to be. So we've got to find some basis to try to establish some groundwork and and uh so people have looked at history and i've i confess i've been one of those you know who've been doing some reading and some sort of historical responses to these crises uh the church itself as a institution is no stranger to plagues and epidemics and even mass hysteria it has in fact been you know if you look through through the history of the church these historically have been some of the most explosive times of growth in mm-hmm. Christianity, if you, if you kind of look at each one of them along the way. In fact, uh, one of the more well-documented and well-known, I guess you might say, uh, p- plagues was the, the one that struck the Western civilization, Roman Empire, in the third century um, that you know, actually killed off two Roman emperors and, and uh, was killing at one point 5,000 people a day. I mean, that's, that's astounding. Yeah. I mean, and I'm just, I was going to say, just, that's just in the city of Rome. Yeah, it's crazy. 5,000 people a day. And it wasn't a big city, you know? Uh, so it was, um, you know, I'm sure gripping for the people who were there. Uh, and yet one of the eyewitnesses of that event, Dionysius of Alexander, wrote about what was going on during that time. He actually referred to it as the school and testing for Christians. Hmm. Now, before we kind of go any further, if we just stopped for a moment and we said, okay, this that we're, that we're entering into here in the last week, that we may be in for a month or two, or maybe even longer. This is our test. As Christians, as a church, uh, you know, as, as those who claim to be followers of Christ, here is your test. You sit down at your desk in your classroom. You get a piece of paper and a pencil. Now we're going to test you. How are you going to perform? Mm. What is God's will? What does he want you to do? How will we know? If we measure up, first of all, to the standard of Christianity throughout all the ages, more importantly, to the standard of Christ, to the standard of the gospel and, and to his word. I think to 
begin, we can just sort of talk about what's gone on in the past. Dionysius writing about that, um, you know, that w- what they um, call the and and. Um, Antonine Plague, I, I, I want to say Antonian Plague, um, but the Antonine Plague, he writes this uh, about what was taking place at that time. First of all, just the fact that, that the difference between Christians and non-Christians during the plague was astounding. They, they could actually document, and they can document, that the, the impact of uh, the death rate between areas of the Roman Empire that were more Christian and those were less Christian was markedly different, markedly different, so on a six-to-one ratio. In favor of the, it, the viability of the Christian community. That's, that's right. Where, where the plague hit Christian communities, people were dying at less than 20% of the other rate. And a lot of that had to do with the, the, the sort of the the care that Christians were providing to their neighbors. They, they were nursing their neighbors before nursing was really even a thing. They were doing it. Dionysius writes, he says, most of our brothers, or most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves or thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, ministering to them in Christ, and with them departing this life serenely happy. So they were literally loving them to the point of death. They were ministering to them and dying with them. He goes on, For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. So they were ministering to their neighbors in such a way that their neighbors were recovering, and yet they, the Christians, were dying. That's literally no greater love. Yeah. It's astounding when you think about it. And this, and this testimony that comes out um, is, is, uh, it was profound. It had an impact for over a hundred years. Pagan writers were referring back to this reputation of the church for a hundred years after this. People actually believe that it was this crisis which cemented in the minds of pagan society that Christianity was going to be the religion of the world. That this was, this was it. They had no answer to it. Dionysius goes on, he says, but the heathen but with the heathen, everything was quite, the other, quite otherwise. He said, they deserted those who began to be sick. They fled from their dearest friends. They shunned any participation or fellowship with death, with, uh, which yet, with all their precautions, it was not easy for them to escape. So they were trying to get away, but they were dying even still at such a rapid rate. So it's, it's amazing, um, you know, the, the response there. It's historic. That what happened in that plague. You move on, you know, to um, a, another testimony, I guess you might say, uh, Cyprian, uh, who was the bishop of Carthage, uh, talked about how in his own sphere, 
Christians were outserving the non-Christians around them. Um, one um, description, I guess you might say, of what was happening there in Carthage, he says, there's nothing remarkable in cherishing merely our own people with the due attentions of love, but that one might become perfect who should do something more than the heathen, uh, heathen men or publicans, one who, overcoming evil with good and practicing a merciful kindness like that of God, should love his enemies as well. Thus, the good was done to all men, not merely to the household of faith. So he's just saying that the Christians weren't just concerned about themselves. They, they actually reached beyond the boundaries of their own congregations during this crisis. And so you can, you can just imagine what an impact it had on Christianity as, as uh, you know, this witness, this gospel witness was being accentuated by the contrast in responses of what was going on. You know, if you fast forward up through, uh, through the years to uh, even Martin Luther, I, I also made mention of this, and a number of people have cited uh, Luther's pamphlet that he uh, wrote on fleeing the plague or whether Christians should flee the plague, because the bubonic plague actually struck Wittenberg in 1527, not long after Luther, of course, had started the Protestant Reformation, or was leading the Protestant Reformation. And yet, when people were fleeing, uh, he was staying. He stayed, and he ministered. He actually held and uh, comforted those who were dying of the plague he, in fact, lost his own daughter to the plague mm. through the midst of this, cost her her life. And he wrote this uh, little track on one hand, defending the people who did decide to flee the plague and telling, you know, that they had responsibilities and they had rights and you shouldn't, you know, be condemning those who make that choice. And on the other hand, explaining his own choice of staying in the uh, in his post. He, he wrote this. He says, we die at our post. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregations. The plague does not dissolve our duties. It turns them to crosses on which we must prepare to die. So all of that is remarkable. I mean, you could fast forward and you could talk about even Spurgeon's, uh, Spurgeon talks about when he first started in ministry, and um, um, you know there were diseases that were sweeping through London, you know even in his own day. How remarkable were the evangelistic opportunities? He uh, he mentions that if ever there were a time, he says, when the mind is sensitive, it is when death is abroad. I recollect when I first came to London how anxious people were to listen to the gospel, for the cholera was raging terrible, and there was little scoffing then. Hmm. So just talk to us about the, you know, just the readiness of, of, of uh, we as a church for these kinds of things. So it really is our testing. It really is our school of testing. We remember everything that that our Savior taught us, do unto others as you'd have them do to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Greater love has no man, but that he lay down his life for his friends. Or even Jesus says in Matthew 25, when, when, when the day of judgment comes, the king separates 
uh, humanity as a man separates sheep and goats. And, and they, he says to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous shall answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? He said, uh, the king answered them, truly I say, when you do it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So, this, this is, these are the words of the Savior. And then you look at the history of the church and you see the church responding. And you realize that, that we have, uh, we're, we're in the crucible. We're in the test. Hmm. We're about to find out where we really stand as Christians. And I think if you could summarize all of that, what our response should be is it ought to be others-oriented. It ought to be others-oriented. Now, those were tremendous lessons, but we live in a modern age, right? right? We live in a modern world. We live in a world where people understand germs. We understand how people get sick, and we right. understand how things you know, happen. That's so much of why we are being asked to you know, uh, not um, have social interaction with one another. So in a world of germ theory, the transfer of some of those particular things, and in a world of modern medicine and hospitals and doctors and all that other stuff, you know, we're not running out into the streets finding people with, um, um, you know, blood running out of their eyes. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you had a you had a quote there of of what was happening in that plague that you uh, were having fun with a minute ago. Yeah. So just to give everyone some perspective, um, I. Just because we're we have a transparent operation here, I wanted to introduce the podcast with this quote. I felt like it would be a good attention getter. But this is literally how Cyprian described the symptoms that were being experienced during the plague that Shane mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast. This is quoting Cyprian. The intestines are shaken with the continual vomiting. The eyes are on fire with the infected blood. That in some cases the feet or some parts of the limbs are taken off by the contagion of diseased putrefaction. So what you're saying then is you're not calling us to run out and look for people with exactly. symptoms similar yes. to that. Yeah, we're not we're not finding the guy coughing on the street and going, you know, throwing our arms around him. That's right. You know, those kinds of things. We we live in a modern world, and I think this is where uh, you know, perhaps this is some of the struggle for Christians and it is um, some of the reason why we may not be as fully prepared uh, to respond to this crisis as we need to be. Because uh, you might think of it this way, it's the, 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 the most direct care of the ill has been professionalized. Mm. And that's not bad. I mean, we're, we're beneficiaries of that. And most of us are not in the professional medical environment. And uh, we probably shouldn't assume the primary medical care of our friends. And even, it's interesting note that uh, even Luther, in the midst of being in the plague, was not reckless in his interaction with the plague. He even, even um, 
advises people who are remaining to consider quarantine orders and fumigate their houses and take necessary precautions not to spread the sickness. So so he's actively ministering to people, yet he's recognizing there were some medical realities that you could uh, take. And so what do we do as Christians? What is this love for our neighbor and this response to the world? What does it mean? Well, interestingly, I, you know, I think right now, at the very dawn of this um, so, uh, social distancing uh, recommendations and mandates, what, the way we respond is probably um, not that distinct in the opening days of this, but I'm kind of curious moving forward how uh, this is going to look because our uh, medical professionals are telling us what needs to happen in order to, uh, to, to reduce the curve of transmission and, and spreading of this disease. And it means isolating ourselves. Yeah. It means actually staying away from other people, at least in large measure, in a social way. So for us, I mean, at the very basic level, we, we love others by doing some of the easiest things that you could do, which is just practicing good hygiene and sanitation, taking care to even not make yourself a carrier of these kinds of diseases, washing your hands, you know, taking precautions, all of those kinds of things. And, and as I said, Luther himself was even recommending those kinds of things. So one of the first sacrifices, I guess you might say, of love for your neighbor would be some of the easiest things that we could do, just attentiveness to those kinds of measures. And doctors tell us they'll have a tremendous impact. I think the other aspect of that is provision. It is no secret for most of us that supplies have run thin in the stores. Um, You know, there are emergency calls for uh, toilet paper and paper towels and all those other things, some of us uh, may have an abundant supply of that. And rather than just kind of looking in our closet and feeling secure because we've, you know, absolutely jammed it full of those resources, I think one of the things, practical things we could do is just open up our pantries, open up our homes, open up our lives to make sure that our neighbors, our friends, see the care and the love of Christ coming out from us, saying, I have, but I'll share with you during this time. You know, I have, and I'll be glad to meet your needs. That's without even identifying those who are sick, but just showing love during the, a, a period of time here. I think, you know, it goes uh, beyond that to, uh, you know, trying to figure out ways that we can encourage families, encourage people who might even be struggling with this. Some people uh, who are, you know, perhaps infected um, are going to go through times of, of crisis. We may not be able to give the direct medical care, but we can be very responsive to the families who are uh, being affected by loved ones, if their if they're grandmother or their mother, or someone like that comes ill and maybe even is hospitalized, Mm -hmm. just being very 
sensitive, very quick, not to think about contamination. I don't want to get close to those people because I, but, but thinking about how can I minister to them? You know, I think about all this because, you know, in thinking about the providence of God, it's, um, and this message that just rings through in some of this historical data that you've presented, this, these accounts from past plagues and the Christian response that is not just uh, interesting, it's profound. Uh, I mean, when you, when, you, when you really look at what Christians did in the face of some of these, um, these events that are similar to what we're going through now in terms of it being a, a disease that's kind of running its course across the world, um, what is ringing clear, if nothing else, is that the Christian response should be distinct. It should be observable, and it should testify to a profound love uh, without any question. Um, and it's interesting to try to think through that as the way, in the way that you've kind of sort of sounded some of this out. What does that look like in a modern context with our knowledge of how, to, how these things spread and, and, and that kind of thing? But what? providentially, if we're presented with an opportunity to, to reach out to someone in a very tangible way that you could argue, if you're just going by the letter of the law of some of the guidance you're getting, you probably shouldn't do that. Well, the Lord might have placed right in front of you, right in front of me, an opportunity in his plan to demonstrate that distinct love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, take your you know, bag of tissues, wipe it down with your wet wipes and deliver it to your doorstep. I mean, that simple act of love sets you apart yeah. right there. Um, you know, writing cards and notes, sanitize them and drop them in the mail to people that you know that might be suffering, uh, offer to, you know, um, deliver a meal, uh, go to your neighbors and who might be perhaps in high risk or, or highly vulnerable to the disease, ask them if you can pick up the groceries for them. I mean, there's just all kinds of practical ways that we can set ourselves apart, and it's, it's our test. I mean, this is, this, ought, this is the spotlight. Yeah. And like I said, I actually don't think that it's going to be that dramatic right now. In fact, I still think to some degree the 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 dust is is just um maybe still being stirred up it hasn't quite settled but at some point in in the next week or two people are going to kind of kind of just get their bearings a little bit right and i think that's actually when high time is going to come for us to set ourselves apart right now people are just trying to figure out how to function but pretty soon there's going to be this this response I, i've already done some reading on more recent events. Um, and I found a couple of things interesting. First of all, you know, the most, I guess you could say the most, um, uh, the, the nearest event to which we could compare our current situation is the Spanish flu. A lot of people have made that comparison, 1918, um, the Spanish flu, which swept across the world, killed so many people. Uh, I did some reading even on Atlanta, and, and I was kind of curious about churches closing and, and stuff like that. Well, I found it very interesting that that uh, they quarantined, they called for social isolation, and in about the third week, people had had enough. 
<laughs> they, they just, they started clamoring. They started complaining. They started, you know, going sort of into the streets or calling the newspaper and, you know, you know, kind of getting on their soapbox or whatever. And the primary thing that they were pressuring government officials to loosen up on was the theater. Hmm. So they wanted to, to, to have social contact, but it wasn't the church. And it wasn't uh, to volunteer at the hospital. And it wasn't for this. Uh, it was so that they could be personally entertained. Hmm. They wanted, for their own narcissistic reasons, to do what all of the healthcare officials were telling them is going to put you in danger. And the government, by the way, capitulated. And uh, while the infection rate in Atlanta had started to taper off, after three weeks of social isolation, it actually started to rise again. And by the time you get into January of, 19, of 1919, um, they had more cases than they had in October because they, they relaxed the standards of social isolation. I hope those were some really good shows they went to see. I know, well, yeah. <laughs> they said it was like, you know, packed for nights to come. But I think, it, I think this is where it's really going to hit us is are we going to start putting our own entertainment, indulgence, luxury, or whatever it might be, demands ahead of love for our neighbor? Are the Christians going to be the ones who are out there running with the world to do all those things? Wall Street Journal, uh, just this morning, uh, March 17th, had an article talking about what's going on in Europe. A generational war is brewing over coronavirus because most young people uh, who they note experience mild or no symptoms are completely unconcerned about the older people. And they have grown tired after just a week or two of social isolation. And so they're defying their government. They're defying their uh, you know healthcare uh, recommendations. They're going out and they are partying, mm. and they're you know being in some cases chased out by the police or something like that. But they're getting together and not just in the bars and and uh, the pubs and stuff like that. But they're getting together in homes, all of that stuff. In fact, um, this is really really sad. But in our own country. Um, there is already a, um, a trending hashtag in Twitter called Boomer Remover. Hmm. So this is the younger generation who is basically saying, hey, this coronavirus is going to wipe out the boomers. Just that's better for us. So my question, you know, because it's already ha- it's happening right in front of us. Yeah. What, what happened in the Spanish flu what happened to y'all all the way back in the, in, the, in the Antonine Plague, it's happening right in front of us. There are certain segments of the population who are responding with utter selfishness. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it um, you know, in ways that are going to endanger other people. So we've got to ask ourselves you know, a couple of questions about are we going to have a different response? Are, are Christians going to be noted for their civility and their self-restraint and their lack of, you know, demand for, for their personal indulgences, 
And are they going to be able to, to, to go out there and hold true, if you will, to everything that the doctors are ordering? Or are they going to run with the crowd? Are they going to be demanding to get back out into society? It, this is what I think. If you're going to risk in some way uh, spreading the infection, let it not be for your selfish lifestyle, but let it be in care for the needy. Hmm. I mean, we, I'm not saying that we, we can't go out at all, but if you're going to do it, let it be because you are trying to care for the needy. But, but, but let that be the thing that sets you apart. So we need to, we need to prepare ourselves. We need yeah. to prepare ourselves for weeks of contentment, weeks of, of you know, being isolated, maybe, weeks of, of complying with what our healthcare professionals say are best for those around us, and not complaining and not you know, bickering about that. And, um, and even when our friends are beginning to buckle under that pressure, we as Christians need to stand strong and continue to remind people of why we're doing this, because we love our neighbors, because this is what we would want other people to do for us. Not because we personally would get sick and die. Many of us are not that vulnerable. But because we understand that many people could die hmm. if we don't do this. And then, and then in targeted ways... Find those who are hurting, who are suffering, if not directly people who are infected, those who are part of the family who are infected, those who are vulnerable, who uh, can't get out of their house that we might be able to minister to, those who are economically displaced in some way. We need to look out and just find where those things are, where those uh, sort of tension points are. And we need to answer the test, hmm. and we need to respond with, uh, with uh, you know, that distinct witness that maybe four weeks down the road, two months down the road, a year down the road, people will look back and say, yeah, I remember that time, and the Christian community uh, was distinct. Hmm. You know, the believers were distinct, and uh, they, they're the ones who really cared for us. This is a clarion call. Uh, I think about the the information from um, the Spanish flu and the people clamoring to get back to the theater. You know, we we might find this an opportune time for us to immerse ourselves in our personal devices and binge watch shows and movies and 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 really indulge ourselves in entertainment as a way of escape, as a way to pass time. Mm-hmm that we might otherwise have been you know, spending that time in other ways. But what you're describing and what you're talking about really places upon us the tremendous need for us to have our minds shaped by the truth of God's Word and not distracted or really dulled by what would be a temptation even for the believer in this period of time to just sort of immerse yourself in distracted thinking or distracted mm allurements or amusements, um, but we, we have this unbelievable providential opportunity before us to demonstrate the love of Christ in a very collective, powerful way, individually but also collectively as the observable body of Christ. Um, yeah, you know, this sort of societal slowdown uh, 
can lull people into actually uh, relaxing their disciplines. Yeah. When actually we should be taking the opportunity to to um, sharpen ourselves. Yeah. For the for, for the, the the maze that we have to navigate in the next few weeks, because as I said, uh, our our response is not going to be in some ways the, the, the direct response that Christians in the past have had. They, they just, they saw a sick person, they went to them. Right. That was in some ways very easy, although it obviously required a lot of courage. Our, we're going to have to be a little bit more discerning about what that looks like, but we, just like you said, we cannot allow ourselves to fall into that sort of uh, um, dullness laxity, narcissism, that all of the world is going to fall into. Well, to that point, we're going to be, this is just some really good information, uh, some some really good articles that Shane has researched. There's other articles that have come across my email that we're going to start trying to provide a repository of some good resources, um, some points of encouragement, some, some um, vehicles of communication uh, to the church during this time where we're having to kind of navigate a little bit of a, a um, postponement, I guess you'd say, of our normal gathering. So uh, hopefully this will be just one more plank in that effort for us to, to really um, see what the Lord might do to use us for His glory uh, through this process. So thank you for spending the time um, thinking through these things and researching these things and then sharing them with us. Appreciate it. Looking forward to the next time.